Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to our monthly book club, and welcome to our author, strong and powerful William Green. William, welcome. Hi. Hi, thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you. Yeah, excited to have you on. William is a renowned writer in his newest book, Richer, Wiser, Happier How the World's Greatest Investors Win in Markets and Life. Excited to have you on talking about that. In this book, William interviews the likes of Sir John Templeton, Charlie Munger, Jack Bogle, Peter Lynch, and many others. William, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and what motivated you to put pen to paper this time. Well, I, I grew up in England. I've spent the last three decades making my living as a journalist, as a book author, as an editor, which is um, a, a challenging but extremely interesting path. So I've been able to live in Hong Kong, in London, in New York. I've got to report all over the world. So I got to interview presidents and prime ministers and criminals, lots of billionaires. I uh, got to report everywhere from China to India to Japan to South Africa to Saudi Arabia, Monaco, Italy. So it's been it's been a, a, an interesting and diverse and really fun path. And I would say about 25 years ago, much to my surprise, I became obsessed with the stock market. And this wasn't something that I naturally would have been drawn to um, because I kind of thought of capitalism as, as being somewhat crass. I thought this idea that everyone just wanted to make money was kind of you know vulgar and crass, and I just wanted to be a famous novelist or something sort of high high flown and and classy like that. And then I discovered the stock market, and I just thought, what a fantastic game! This is something where, if you actually think well, you can achieve financial independence and without getting your hands dirty. And I'm a pretty lazy, indolent person, and the idea of a game where if you just could think well you would actually be able to get rich and, and and financially secure. And at the same time, you would be able to kind of outwit other people and show how smart you were. That as someone who's slightly subversive, that was incredibly exciting to me. And, and what I had this strange advantage that most people don't have, which is that because I was writing for magazines like Time and Fortune and Forbes and Money and Barron, stuff like that, I actually had this excuse to go off and interview famous investors. And so, so I had these extraordinary experiences where, for example, I, and, and I write about this a lot in this book, where I would go off to the Bahamas, for example, to spend a day with Sir John Templeton, who was probably the greatest global stock picker of the 20th century. Or I would get to interview Jack Bogle, who was the founder of the Vanguard Group, which um, basically, basically he, was the, he was the pioneer of index funds. And uh, Vanguard Group now has $6.3 trillion in assets. So I got to ask these masters about the things they had learned about the rules of this game. And so when I looked back a few years ago and decided that I wanted to write this book, I thought, okay, so I'm going to go back and figure out what the smartest and wisest of these people that I've interviewed over the last 25 years have figured out about the rules of the game. And then because I'm somewhat insane and obsessive, I decided to home in on 40 of the greatest investors who I interviewed again for this book or or for the first time very deeply, and in some cases spent days with them. And so in some ways, this is sort of the greatest hits of my 25-year obsession. It's everything that I've learned that I've tried to distill about how to win this game of investing. But also, I became really fascinated by the idea that the greatest investors 
are not just masters of making money, they're extraordinarily good thinkers. And so what I'm also trying to do is tell you, well, actually, if you learn to think like these guys, your life will improve, which is somewhat uh, counterintuitive, because I think most of us look at the richest people and just think, well, they're all divorced and miserable and, you know, uh, their lives are full of lawsuits and, right. and hatred. And, and in fact, I think that's not true at all. I think that's certainly true of some of them. But um, I've tended to focus on investors who I think are not only extraordinary at making money, but are actually pretty wise and are, uh, in some ways very exemplary human beings. And so that's one of the idiosyncrasies of this book is that I've, I've focused on people that I actually admire and like and who I, I think are, are good models for how to live and how to think, as well as how to get rich and independent financially. What a lovely thing to recognize that there's people out there who are who are able to do all of those things, to be successful in investing and in their business, but also be nice people. Yeah, and it's a minority, I suspect, because I do think it's very easy to get corrupted by having enormous sums of money. But I think there's a kind of subset within the investment world of people who are obsessed with what Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's partner, calls worldly wisdom. And they're really trying to think about how to live and how to think. And, and for someone like Charlie Munger, who I interviewed in Los Angeles, who's, who's been Buffett's partner for the last 40 years and is, is widely regarded as even smarter than Buffett. Most people regard him as, as the cleverest guy in the investment business. Uh, you know, um, Bill Gates said he's the, the broadest thinker he's ever encountered. And for someone like Munger, Munger it has always been interested in the manner in which he won this game. He, he didn't want to win it in a scummy, unethical way. And there's a lovely thing that Buffett said about Munger, where he said that over, over something like 41 years, he had never once seen Charlie Munger take advantage of anybody. And he said, I've, I've knowingly seen him get the worst end of a deal with me and, and with other people multiple times. And so in some ways, what I'm trying to write about is also a kind of enlightened capitalism where the money doesn't pollute and pervert your life. It actually, it enables you to live um, in a freer and happier way, more in alignment with who you are. But it, it hopefully doesn't become something that you're so obsessed with that it actually wrecks your life. So this 25-year, I don't want to call it a journey, but just this body of work Obsession, fanatical obsession, fanatical, probably is a fair description. Fanatical obsession, yeah. and then culminating with 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 this book. Did did it change your perception of of the markets? It sounds like it sounds like you recognized, realized, not that you didn't before, but that would, would you say that it had a really profound impact? Very much. One one of the things that I've been trying to do is synthesize and distill what these people figured out so that I could use it in my own life, but also so that I could share it with my kids who are 19 and 22 and with my readers. And one of the things that became very clear to me is that the rules of this game, the investment game, are actually surprisingly simple. Mm -hmm. the, the execution is not simple. It's a difficult game. Um, as, as Charlie Munger said, at a, uh, he, he got up from a lunch with Howard Marks, who's another multi-billionaire, very, very brilliant investor. And he said, anyone who thinks this is easy is stupid. <laughs> and it's not easy. It's a tough game. But the principles behind it, underlying it, the rules of investing are remarkably simple. And one of the things that 
came home to me was when, when I went to interview this guy called Joel Greenblatt, who's one of the great legends of investing. And I, I interviewed him several times, but one time I went to his, his gorgeous house in the Hamptons where he's sort of overlooking the ocean. And he has this beautiful lawn with a basketball court and football, football net, soccer net, sorry, I'm English, and, uh, and surfboards. And it's kind of this idyllic, idyllic life. And this is a guy who just won the game. And he, he averaged 40% a year for 20 years, which means you turn a million dollars into 836 million. So this is this is an absolute master of the game of investing. And when I asked him basically how you distill it down to its essence, he said, it's really simple. It all boils down to this. He said, you have to value an asset and then buy it for much less. And I'm like, really, that's it? And he's like, yeah, 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 that's it. It's, it's, just, it's just valuing an asset and buying it for less, which is an incredibly simple idea. And what he said is, once you understand that that's the essence of the game, you realize that what most people are doing is just absolutely fruitless nonsense. So they're spending all of their time trying to trying to speculate on what's going to happen with interest rates, or is the market going to go up or down? Is there going to be a crash? Is what's going to happen? Is there is there going to be a um, uh, a recovery of the economy that's going to look like a K or a Z or a, a Nike swoosh? And he's like, this stuff's just moronic. And then. People talk about, you know, Sortino-Sortino ratios and the Modigliani-Modigliani measure, you know, and, and, and Buffett describes a lot of these people as, as um, you know, just peddlers of highfalutin nonsense about how the game actually works. And so Greenblatt's idea that really you're just trying to value something and then buy it for less than it's worth is a very profound and simplifying idea, very clarifying, but it raises a really important question, which is, do you know how to value a company? Do you know how to value an asset? And for someone like me, who's kind of lazy and impatient and, and doesn't actually have a lot of these technical skills, I actually have to admit that I don't really know how to value sure. a business. I'm, I'm not going to sit there doing discounted cash flow analysis. It would bore the hell out of me. And so that admission of my own limitation, my own stupidity, my own, my own lack of qualification is incredibly liberating because it means that instead of playing a game that I'm likely to lose, I have to focus on playing games that I can win. And, and one of the beauties of, of the investing world is that there is a default position that the, 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 the ignorant can take, which includes me and about 95% of us, which is just to, to buy index funds. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that that's the, that's the only way to go, but, but, you know, one of the greatest investors of all time is a guy called Ed Thorpe, who, who beat the market by a mile for 20 years and didn't, didn't have a single losing quarter. And he was saying to me, look, it's a, it's a great bet to buy an index fund because over the long term, the market goes up as the, uh, the economy grows, companies become more productive. And if you buy an index fund, you have very, very low costs. You have very low expenses, very low fees. It's, it's efficient in, a, in, a, in, a, in terms of taxes and, and costs. And so he said, you're basically stacking the odds in your favor. It's a very good long-term bet. And this is from a guy who literally, he invented card counting. I mean, he's the guy who figured out how to beat the market at, at blackjack and then how to beat the market at roulette even. And so, so it, when someone like that tells you, this is a bet where you're stacking the odds in your favor, I, I take that very seriously. So, so the default option actually is not... Is not um, is not a dumb one. It's actually, it's, it's an act of great sophistication to acknowledge our own limitations and, and, and play a game that we're equipped to win. I love it. So how long did this book take you to write? 
oh gosh, I, it, I, I managed to miss my deadline by something like two years because, um, so it took me about four years. And, and one of the reasons is that I just did so much reporting. I mean, yeah. I, you know, there, I started by going to India with this guy called Monish Pabrai, who's a remarkable investor based in California, who, who um, decided, basically he discovered Warren Buffett in 1994. And he saw that Buffett had, had compounded money at 31% a year for 45 years. And, and so what Monish decided to do, he said, well, if I take the million dollars that I've saved and I can compound it at 26% a year, I'll turn it from 1 million into 1 billion in 30 years. So he launched this game to do that. So I, being somewhat nuts and fanatical, went to India with him for five days, traveled across India, went to visit these, these rural schools that his charitable foundation bankrolled, traveled in a bunk bed with him all, all night on an all night train ride across India, went to California to interview him, went to Omaha a couple of times with him for the Birch Hathaway annual meeting. So I was getting deeply into the lives and minds of these people. I mean, I, at one point, I, I went and spent a couple of days in Texas with one of the investors. And, you know, literally, I'm hanging out with him in his office for two days. At one point, he, he's, he's a guy who's transformed his mind through self-hypnosis because he started with with just the worst hand in life. He was a Holocaust survivor. So I literally am lying on his floor getting hypnotized by him <laughs> as part of my reporting. So I went whole hog on this thing. I mean, I, I wanted to, to take the reader inside the minds of these people and inside the lives of these people and actually explain this is, this is why they win. And some of this stuff is inimitable. We actually, I, I'm not Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger has about 100 more IQ points than I have. So I better not fool myself into thinking that I can do what Munger does. But there are lessons from these people, insights and principles and habits that are so powerful that they really can benefit all of us. And I, I felt like I had to spend the time with them really inside their minds and lives to be able to distill the essence of, of why it is that they succeed. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's incredible. Um, so when, when you are granted the opportunity to spend X number of days with, with, with X, with, with, with Charlie Munger, obviously Charlie probably has a pretty good appreciation for how much his time is worth. So he's, he's saying, I value William and what he's working on at, at, at this, that I'm going to give him X number of days. Let's assume that he gives you four days. It's, it's amazing to complete access time with him. How do you prepare for that? Do you have a thousand questions that you're ready to ask written down? Is it in your head? You know, Charlie is actually the most uh, interesting exception to the rule here because Charlie, I, I wrote to him and I said, is what I want to come interview you about. And I had all of these qualifications to interview him, having interviewed all of these legendary people. And I had this great publisher, Scribner, which is this kind of legendary publisher, you know, that published Hemingway and Fitzgerald and all these great writers. And, and after all of this effort, you know what he says to me? He says, oh, and I invented the fact that I was going to California anyway, where he lives. So I said, you know, you have this annual meeting for this. And I wondered if I could come interview you at the same time. And he said, I'll give you 10 minutes before the meeting starts. So here I am, I literally travel 3000 miles for the prospect of 10 minutes with Charlie Munger. 
And I can't tell you how excited I was and how terrified I was of this. I mean, manga has a reputation for being not only utterly brilliant, but also very acerbic. I mean, there's a wonderful story of manga where he went to the DMV and he only has one working eye and the other one's a glass eye. And, and this bureaucrat said to him, and do you still just have the one eye? And he looks at the guy and he says, no, I've grown another one. So, so, so I'm sort of thinking, you know, this guy is going to realize what an absolute moron I am from, from moment one. And Buffett has said that, that Munger has the best 30 second mind in the world. You know, he sees the essence of something before you finished, before you finished the question. And so, so I spent weeks preparing. I read everything that he said. Uh, he has this extraordinary book, Poor Charles Almanac, that's a collection of his old speeches. And what I figured out was that the, the thing that's most interesting about Buff, uh, about Munger to me is that here you have the smartest guy in the country, and yet everything that he does is focused on how to be less foolish. And so I condensed all of my thinking and decided I'm just going to hit really hard on this topic from the moment I get into the interview. So I go into the interview, and the first thing I say, and, and I arrive an hour early for the interview and hope that I might get more time with him. And, the, and, and in the end, I did get a lot more time with him for various other reasons. But the first thing I said to him was, I regard you as the grand master of stupidity reduction. And can you explain <laughs> to me why, why that's your approach? And so I, in that case, I just went straight for the bullseye, which was the most important question, which is why it's so important to be less foolish. And, and so the chapter that I wrote about him is literally called Don't Be a Fool. And it's about this very profound strategy, both for investing in life, which is instead of trying to be smarter, we should really focus on trying to reduce what Munger calls our standard stupidities. Nice. Love it. I love it. Well, we could talk all day, William. Um, I, I'm fascinated by by the process that 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 writers go through. I'm a student of Julia Cameron and Stephen Pressfield. Do you have a process for your writing that you stick to? If there's a wonderful line from Hemingway where he said that the first rule of investing is apply seat of pants to seat of chair, and and I always felt like in some ways it was a battle of attrition that you just had to stick with it and, and grind it out. And I've tried over the years to make it a sort of more joyful exploration rather than this sort of, you know, survival contest to the death, but it's still hard, you know, and, and the whole process is fraught with worry and, and stress and anxiety. So for, you know, writers are a little bit nuts. And so I spent the whole time thinking, nobody's going to talk to me. And then I'm going to write something that's really stupid and I'm going to make a fool of myself. And then I'm going to start doing the book launch and I'm going to say stupid stuff that's that's embarrassing. And so I just, you know, they sometimes say that a bull market climbs a, a wall of worry and may, maybe it's the same thing with a book. It's just, it's just climbed this wall of worry. And I, I became friends over the years with Tony Robbins and and, and I asked him about this and he said, no, no, a leader just has to, has to change their paradigm and set a new paradigm. And, and, and it's not necessary for you to suffer so much. And he, he said to me, you're so miserable. You need to come on one of my courses. And, you know, but I also became friends with Dan Goldman, who sold something like 5 million copies of emotional intelligence. And he said to me, no, no, your process, that's just the process. So I don't know, some, somewhere between those two things is, is the truth. But I, I, it's intense. I mean, writing a book is intense and it's one of the hardest things I think you can do. It's not, you know, it's not brain surgery, but you're, you're distilling enormous amounts of information and trying to share it in a way 
that's profound and helpful for other people. And that's not an easy task. And, and the, the upside of it is that I can tell you it's the most satisfying thing I've ever done. I mean, I, I've written a bunch of books, but this, this one is far and away the most satisfying thing that I've done because I just decided at a certain point that if I was going to, you know, I'm 52. I thought if I keel over from COVID or anything else, I want to have left one thing that's really worthwhile. And I felt I have this unbelievable opportunity to share these ideas from really some of the greatest minds of the last century. And I'm going to do it justice. And so I decided at a certain point, the quality was the one variable that I was going to focus on. And, and if that meant that I would be two years late, then, you know, I, so, so be it. And this didn't necessarily please my editor, but I think in the end, in, in the end, he, he saw the wisdom of my, of my ways. I yeah. hope. Well, congratulations on it. Thank it. you. And thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they get a copy of Richer, Wiser, Happier, How the World's Greatest Investors Win in Markets and Life? Well, Richer, Wiser, Happier comes out on April 20th. It's going to be available everywhere. I feel like you should buy multiple copies. The more <laughs> copies you buy, the richer, wiser, and happier you're bound to become. Uh, gift it to everybody you know. Uh, my website is williamgreenwrites.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter where um, my name is William Green 72 uh, Come to LinkedIn, connect with me. Feel free to message me, write to me, tell me what, what helped you in the book, how, how, it, how it worked out, whether there are particular ideas in the book that you've actually managed to apply in your life that have, that have helped you financially, but also in other ways. So I, I hope it's an ongoing conversation and that your, your listeners actually feel free to, to, to have these exchanges with me and, and reach out to me down the road. Wonderful. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show William your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Pick up a copy of Richard Wiser Happy Hour wherever fine books are sold. You can find more about William at williamgreenwrites.com. Find him on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, William. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together. This episode is brought to you by Money Alignment Academy. If you are looking for a financial wellness platform for your company, your organization, and your employees, check out moneyalignmentacademy.com or click on the link in the notes of the show.